Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm joined for this episode by Steve Vessio, Head of Global Tax Services for Brown Brothers Harriman. I've asked Steve to join me for this episode because we're discussing a topic with which Steve has a lot of experience. That is the management of FATCA and CRS compliance for a group of financial institutions. And more specifically, how a responsible officer should go about managing the FATCA and CRS compliance for the group when that responsible officer may not have a direct insight into the day-by-day compliance of the organization, which is generally going to be the case in large organizations or in groups with entities in various jurisdictions. To start, I do want to clarify that the term responsible officer has a formal meaning for FACA purposes and generally refers to an officer that is identified to the IRS as having responsibility for ensuring the compliance of the group or that is designated as a responsible officer in the IRS portal. However, for purposes of this discussion, we are using the term responsible officer in a broader sense to also refer to an officer or leader in a group of financial institutions that has some internal responsibility for ensuring that the group is compliant with its FACA and CRS obligations, even if that role is high-level oversight, such as what would typically be held by a CFO or a head of tax. The reason for this is that even for an organization that delegates the formal RO role to multiple employees or officers in other entities within the group, the compliance of one financial institution in the group is impacted by the compliance of other financial institutions in the group. So a lack of compliance by one organization can put the compliance of the other related institutions at risk. Therefore, there should be some oversight maintained at a top level to ensure that all entities are compliant and are not threatening the status or compliance of the rest of the group. So before we get into the methods for ensuring compliance, I just want to give a little background on the general compliance that is necessary for groups of financial institutions and how entities within the group will often make determinations that impact the rest of the group. To start with, every entity within a group structure should undergo an initial evaluation to determine the entity's status under both FATCA and CRS. This is necessary in order to determine whether that entity has a FATCA or CRS compliance obligation as a financial institution in that jurisdiction but also in order to have that status available to provide to other financial institutions when that entity is opening accounts or receiving U.S. source financial payments, since financial institutions and withholding agents will generally require proper documentation from the entity prior to opening accounts or making certain payments. These entity classification determinations can be very complex and can vary based on the jurisdiction. Oftentimes, there's not clear answer on the entity's status, I think a common example of that would be holding companies can often have disputed statuses. And there may be cases where there is an argument for calling an entity either a financial institution or a passive non-financial entity. In these cases, it's possible that either option could be supportable, but only if the group as a whole is taking a consistent approach and not cherry-picking that some entities would be FIs and some entities would be labeled as non-financial entities. Therefore, One entity in the group going rogue and determining its status without coordinating with the other entities could undermine the status of similarly situated entities within the group. In addition, for entities that are financial institutions, they will have registration obligations, generally both with their local jurisdictions and with the IRS, and must establish a program to ensure that they are documenting and classifying their account holders for FATCA and CRS purposes, performing withholding when required by FATCA, and performing the necessary reporting on an annual basis for both regimes. 
In a large group, the responsible officer may not be responsible for directly overseeing this compliance, but should have a line of sight into the group's compliance as a whole with these obligations, because there can be significant risk to the group if this compliance is not achieved. So, for example, if an entity is non-compliant and loses its status for FACA purposes, that single entity's loss of a status could endanger the compliance status of all other financial institutions in the group. In addition, for groups that have qualified intermediaries, those qualified intermediaries are also required to certify to the overall compliance of the group with FATCA and may lose their status as QIs if those certifications cannot be made. In addition, formal responsible officers who are required to make certifications to either the IRS or locally regarding the compliance of the entity or the group may face personal consequences in addition to the consequences imposed on the group if those certifications are not correct. Therefore, regardless of the group's structure, there must be some coordination maintained in order to ensure that the group as a whole remains compliant. And Steve, I really appreciate you joining us today because I know you've got a lot of experience with this, being the head of tax of a group that has a lot of financial institutions in various jurisdictions. Um, so your insight's going to be incredibly helpful here. An initial step an FI group needs to determine is whether to adopt a centralized model or to have compliance bifurcated over separate business groups or entities. In other words, a decentralized model. In your experience, Steve, what approach do you recommend? That's a great question, Danielle. This is arguably the most important decision an institution will make as it relates to establishing a strong FACA compliance model. At a high level, FACA's requirements to maintain compliance across an expanded affiliated group, coupled with entity registration and periodic certification requirements, would point you to the conclusion that a centralized model that puts all matters related to FACA compliance under a single oversight umbrella would seem to have the highest likelihood of success over a more siloed approach. In fact, it's likely true in most cases. In our experience, the centralized model has proven not only to be more effective for managing aspects that range from initial and periodic compliance training of impacted staff to ensuring completeness and timeliness around aspects such as entity registration, deregistration, reporting, and certifications, but more efficient insofar as there is consistency across practice and positions related to things like the assessment of whether particular entities are FIs or not, as you mentioned earlier. The model also simplifies governance, including internal audit and other assurance-related reviews that you want to make sure are happening in this space as well as reporting as it's conventionally required to oversight bodies such as corporate and fund boards. So it sounds like you've gone with a centralized approach and I think that's probably the more popular approach because it does give you more insight into what other entities and groups are doing because under the centralized model, it sort of works like a pyramid where all of the information and the certifications are pushed up to the RO at the top. But that may not work for all organizations. Some organizations have a more siloed approach to doing their general compliance, which makes a centralized model not as practical for them. And so we do see organizations following a decentralized approach. But I think we need to distinguish here between doing a decentralized but coordinated approach and doing a completely siloed approach. And let me talk about what I mean about that. In a coordinated and decentralized approach, the compliance is generally maintained by the various groups or entities within that structure. 
but the overall compliance is centralized within one person. So while that overall responsible officer, whether formal or informal, is not actually keeping up with the day-by-day compliance of each group within the structure, they are at least monitoring it on an overall basis. And, you know, that monitoring is necessary. In part, it's project management to make sure that the group is being done, but also a risk assessment to make sure that the groups are overall coordinating their decision making. The alternative is a completely siloed approach where you have completely separate groups, either within a single entity or groups of entities within various jurisdictions, completely running their own compliance. And I I think from what we've seen in practice, most of the problems come from running a completely siloed approach. We've seen a lot of issues arise. One of the biggest is that sometimes entities get overlooked. So in a siloed approach where there is no coordination across the group, you often see entities that just weren't adopted by anyone. And so they did have compliance obligations, but no one ever classified them as an FI or someone classified them, registered them, and then forgot about that so that they got the gin, but they weren't ever actually doing any reporting. And without someone overall managing the compliance as a group as a whole, it's easy for this to happen. It's also possible in the siloed approach where each group is going to make decisions on its own, and they'll make decisions that will undermine the positions taken by the other groups. And they don't know that they're doing this because there's no line of sight into their decision-making process. And finally, I think to your point, Steve, it's more inefficient in the siloed approach because instead of adopting one practice and rolling it out across the organization, you have each group kind of developing their compliance from scratch, which not only raises the issues of inconsistencies where they undermine each other's approaches, but it also means you're undergoing that labor and that creation of the process over and over again, which is pretty inefficient. I think that's right. And, And I agree with your points around you know, a centralized approach not working under every model. I think the best way to deal with matters like this are to align them generally to the way that the organization has its compliance structure implemented. And crossing that or breaking that puts you in a position of, I'd say, conflict around model that could make it harder for the organization to to adopt. And the effectiveness of the model ultimately is driven by its ability to be adopted first and foremost. Okay, and I think the last thing I want to comment on that point is, regardless of the approach you use, whether it's you know a decentralized but coordinated approach or a fully centralized approach, the thing we see a lot also within a decentralized model, and even sometimes in the centralized model, is a failure to track all of the statuses and the registration of the various entities within the group. That is something, you know, the passwords, um, the access codes to get onto the portal, the status of when an entity registered, which person got labeled as a responsible officer, the contact persons for each entity. That is an important thing to track on a centralized basis because you're going to see changes happen over the course of time. You're going to have individuals leave and you may lose access to their accounts. (laughs) You may have people forget that they have this responsibility. And that's something you really want to maintain in a centralized place. Because I I do see this occasionally where people will know that they have 
an FI registered somewhere, but they have not been maintaining the status on the portal. No one has the passwords anymore and can't access it, which means they haven't been complying. And that's a really tough problem to deal with because it's not something where you want to go to the IRS or the local authorities and let them know that you don't have access unless you had a good reason for that. And so it's a little more sympathetic when somebody left the organization and now you've been locked out of the files. But when the answer is simply, well, I, I don't know, we registered years ago and nobody did anything and now we're getting these notices, that's not really something you want to go to the local authorities and point out. So the workaround for that is really difficult. So it's important that you at least maintain a tracker of all of your entities and all of the access to those accounts and who has that access. I think that's right. That approach also facilitates continuous assessment, right, of completeness in addition. So you mentioned earlier that a decentralized approach sometimes results in orphaned entities, right? Not any one line of business or any one function taking responsibility under particular sets of circumstances. And having that inventory enables that ability to review, assess, and then ultimately identify those situations and assign them, as well as maintain the continuity that you mentioned earlier. Okay, so now the question would be, how do you go about most effectively doing your centralization? So beyond just registering on the IRS portal as a single group, how would you recommend adopting a centralized approach? That's another really good question. It's obvious that starting with a centralized approach greatly simplifies things. But as you're asking this question, more than a few years since factor requirements have taken effect, we might think about what it would take to move from a decentralized model to a more centralized one. First, making sure that FACA is viewed as a group-wide compliance matter is important, and that success is defined as moving toward both an effective and efficient compliance, oversight, and governance model. It also makes sense to align the governance and oversight model to other of the organization's cross-border governance, compliance, and oversight models. I say this is it will be more likely to be achievable and sustainable if it can be folded into an existing centralized governance model than established as a sole outlier. It may almost make sense as well to start such an initiative with a fresh assessment of impacts so that the scope of what must be centralized and managed can be documented and what is in place can then just be mapped to a future state centralized model. And Steve, when you say go back to the beginning and start with the impact assessments, you're not suggesting that you start over from scratch and start your compliance model from scratch, right? That's correct. It's more to ensure that what is brought together in a centralized model is the complete picture and that there aren't any orphaned aspects that are uh, left along the side as you progress with centralization. So it sounds sort of like your recommendation is to do something like a health check on your existing procedures, at least for one group within that structure, and then to kind of expand that out and to look at any differences that you see along the way and pressure test those because uh, there could be differences for very good reasons, but sometimes the differences can ex expose failures as well. I think that's right. And importantly, any omissions and or inconsistencies around practice it should be identified and resolved before you move to centralization. Okay. And then even if you weren't trying to go to a completely centralized approach, but if you're in the siloed approach today where you have groups of entities or business divisions that have no idea what the other entities are doing, and I see this a lot in fund structures or PE structures, 
your goal might not be to get to a fully centralized place, but just to get it to a more coordinated perspective. And so if that's your goal, one thing you might do is sort of back into this more centralized process. So instead of starting with the approach that Steve's recommending of, let's start with our procedures and let's do a whole full health check, if you're just trying to coordinate a decentralized approach, what you might do is have each group compile their own compliance on a standardized process, whether it's a spreadsheet or a system, where they're logging similar aspects. So you know that they're all reviewing the same elements when they're doing their account classification. They're all making decisions in the same manner. They're all recording their entity statuses in the same manner with the same elements and having them all kind of convert to a similar process individually and then having that flow up to a central RO, whether that's a formal RO or an informal RO, and having that RO sort of manage, one, are they following similar procedures? Are they meeting their deadlines appropriately? Are their classifications being done in a consistent fashion? And that's another way of doing a health check. You're not really starting from scratch, but you're kind of backing into it by relying on the standardized forms and elements that would be necessary to reach these conclusions. And I think either of those could be successful. They're just different methods of getting to the same place, which is greater centralization and greater oversight. I think that's fair. Bringing things together like that generally identifies where there are inconsistencies. And that's where the opportunity is here of coordinating things, even that are managed in, under your definition, a decentralized fashion. Okay, and you've got a lot of different entities and a lot of different jurisdictions that your group is located in. How are you managing all of the different reporting deadlines, the registration requirements, and the different rules for the groups of entities that apply in each jurisdiction? In establishing a centralized model, we took advantage of an existing centralized practice function, which has been responsible for advising us on matters relating to entity classification as they've evolved from beginning of FATCA. This has enabled us not only to develop and implement a consistent response, but also to work back to update our positions consistently as guidance has evolved over time. Of course, maintaining good resources, including advisors across the range of FI jurisdictions, is also very important. And this is something we've designed to manage centrally as well. So for your approach, did you decide to go with a single RO for the entire organization? At the top level, yes. We have a single RO uh, that's responsible for managing and controlling a compliance for the entirety of the expanded affiliated group. So how does that single RO go about overseeing the compliance within these various entities and the various jurisdictions when I presume that RO is not himself or herself responsible for actually overseeing it on a day-by-day basis? That's a really good question. We accomplish it through a structure of periodic and continuous communication and education. The responsible officer is in periodic contact with heads in each one of the jurisdictions of each one of our business areas that result in a dialogue that confirms whether or not and to what extent our business has changed, whether or not and to what extent all of the things that are required to have been done throughout the period have been done, and then establishes whether or not to what extent procedures and controls need to be modified in consideration of any change in the scope of that business. 
So is that RO also getting communications back from the lead, attesting to their certifications that the RO is in a better place, one, to just know that the organization as a whole is compliant, but also to make any certifications the RO needs to make to the IRS or local jurisdictions? Yes, that's one of the outputs of that process, if you will. The ROs maintaining a level of comfort around the completeness and consistency of the areas under which each one of the jurisdictions are required to operate and enabling ultimately the comfort in any certifications that are required to be made. Okay, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you're an example of the approach I talked about in the beginning where this responsibility is not just on the formal RO, but that others in the organization may also have a responsibility to kind of undertake these steps of oversight. Am I right in assuming that you are not the actual formal RO yourself, but you are still undertaking the oversight to assist the RO and make sure that the organization is compliant? That's correct. And in our model, we have a bit of an organizational pyramid. If you want to think of the RO as the tip of the pyramid, there are groups that are responsible for carrying out FATCA responsibilities, identifying entities, registering entities, and then there are groups that are responsible for performing account due diligence and reporting, as well as internal advisory function around maintaining a consistent practice across the jurisdictions and in, in the business's approach to FATCA compliance generally. All of those form a part of what is our existing governance model, and they're, they're all an integral part of it. Thanks, Steve. And my impression is you've done the centralized model from the start. You guys have been a really diligent organization about setting forth your FATCA and CRS compliance. But does that mean that you just set this out in the beginning and you never revisit it again? Or do you continue to revisit things like classification and procedures to make sure that the what you're doing today is consistent with what's required under the laws as written? Really good question. The answer to did we start with centralized model in, in our case is yes. It is not something that was done and put aside. However, in order for a model like this to work, it needs to be continually assessed. Internal and external variables are really driving uh, the need to make modifications from time to time. So as I mentioned earlier, we've had guidance change over time. So entities that were registered, let's say in 2014, that might not be required to be registered as a result of IGAs, for example, and other guidance that have been released have caused us to make changes. And we've been able to, because we, we're centralized, revisit all of that in a single consistent manner. In addition to that, there are two other input areas, the regulatory change environment. So both U.S. and local jurisdictional law and guidance changes that ultimately end up informing what we might need to do or what we might need to change from what was originally done. And that could ripple through what needs to be registered aspect. It might ripple through what and when and how things need to be reported, but also movements within and across our business are also taken into consideration on an ongoing basis. As you know, what you do in what jurisdictions is largely determinant of whether or not you trigger a FACA compliance obligation. And this is going to be a really important area for firms that are involved in either the movement of functions cross borders 
or in business change that results in new account relationships originating from either the change or the engagement in new business activities. All of this is brought into our continuous assessment of what needs to be done, where it needs to be done, and the model is expanding and changing based on those needs changing and, and new obligations being triggered under certain circumstances. Thank you, Steve. I think this has been a really good dialogue. We've gotten a lot of good information here, and I appreciate your feedback. So thank you for joining us for this episode of IRW Coffee Break. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks to our listeners. And please join us for the next episode, where we'll take up proposed changes to the QI agreement. Thanks, everyone.